So this series we've been on, My Place in This World, kind of the, the idea behind the series is to, to give ourselves a solid foundation of who I am and where I belong. Uh, the world today is in a state of confusion. We could name five, six, seven different issues that all have a struggle with who am I and where do I belong. And I wanted a different approach than we've taken before. We've done studies on identity and things like that. And so we're, we're moving through a process and we're just answering the questions. We started with child and adult and, and we're moving on from there. So I want to do some review because it, it, it builds from one sermon to the next. It, you kind of got to gotta be up to speed to get where we're going. So let's just look at our notes. Let's do the review together. It says, God's assigned roles, positions, and responsibilities never assign or even indicate value. And our best example of this is the Trinity. In the Trinity, we have the Father being the manager, we have the Son being the tangible God to uh, connecting with earth, and we have the Holy Spirit being the intangible God. And, and we can break them up into those categories. We talked about that a little bit. But the roles in the Trinity don't make God the Father more important than the Son and the Holy Spirit. There's no first, second, and third rank. They are all God. They all share the attributes of God. They all have equality as God, and together they make up what, what I call the capital G, capital O, capital D God, the, the all-encompassing God. When we say the God of creation, that's the God we're talking about. So the roles and positions that, that are within the Trinity, they don't assign value. They just reveal God's will, how it will be done, how we will move forward. And he assigns us many different roles, many different positions, and many different responsibilities in humanity, in, in our families, and in our churches. And those roles don't assign a value. They don't assign a hierarchy. They simply establish what our responsibility is and what our, our role in God's kingdom is. And it establishes his will. So they reveal the will of God. And, and that's really our foundational point. Everything is built off of that. Because in our world today, we assign value. Or value is assigned for us. We're expected to, to follow along in those footsteps. And, and we as Christians, we have to have a different way of looking at things. And a different way of looking at people. And a different way of looking at the world. And so our Christian worldview tells us that we don't go along with what the world says. We, we look at things differently where value is not assigned in those, in those ways. And, and the love of God is not assigned that way. He loved us all the same. He died on the cross for us. Went to the grave, as we heard in the song. So number two, God's original plans and design, as seen before the fall of man, is our best look at what God's intentions are. Whenever that information is available. And I use the word intentions because they may not reveal how things actually are, but they do reveal how they were intended to be. And when I'm setting goals for my life, when I'm projecting forward who I want to become, who God wants me to be, that goal is going to reflect the original design. I want to know how God wanted it to be because that's still his desire. And so I will live my life to get as close to that as possible. So his, in, his intentions matter. What did he intend? That becomes my goal. But number three, we live... 
We currently live, we actively live, we day-to-day live in a world affected by mankind's sin. In other words, we live in a world full of sin. You can't turn left or right without seeing the effect of sin, without becoming face-to-face with sin. We, we live in a world full of sin. It's, it's, it's not a surprise. It's not a surprise to God. It's certainly not a surprise to us. We live it daily. And mankind's sin has broken the world. It's been breaking down more and more ever since Adam and Eve. And it, it's now what God intended. And, and so we have to then take into account other things uh, to figure out what God wants. We're also affected by other people's sin. Other people in your life can sin against you. They can sin in ways that affect you. You can be the victim of someone else's sin. Now that doesn't sound very fair. It's not fair. But it is a reality. So not only is the world broken, people are broken, and then we have our own sin. And our own sin affects us. It affects us in a negative way. So we have all this sin around us, and we are trying to navigate life in order to become who God wants us to be. So that original version of what God wants, that's our goal. That gives us something to look forward to, but we have to navigate through this this world. So number four, when we don't have the luxury of a clear picture from Genesis 1 and 2, when there's areas that are not addressed there, we must look to the teaching of Scripture and the examples it provides, both good and bad. The Bible is really great because it, it shows us the people we don't want to be like as well as the people we do want to be like. And sometimes that's the same person. Sometimes we say, well, Abraham was great here, And Abraham was not very great at all here. So I'm going to take this about Abraham, and I'm going to esteem to that. And I'm going to take this about Abraham, and I'm going to learn from it. And I'm not going to become that. But when when we can't look at Genesis, we have to look to the rest of the Bible. What, what What instructions have been given, what principles have been set, what doctrines have been laid out that overlap, that that touch this area so I can determine what God's will is. Sometimes it's real easy because it is in Genesis 1 and 2. Sometimes it's not so easy and we have to explore the rest of Scripture. What we have to be sure we don't do is listen to the world. Because the world is going to tell us lies. Satan is the father of lie. His aim is to steal, kill, and destroy. That's, that's the path we're going to find ourselves on if, if we're listening to the world and not to God. We really have to be careful who we're listening to, because sometimes the world's lies sound really good, let's be honest. They sound really good, they sound very convincing, and, and we're, we're just kind of bound to, wow, I wonder if that's true. We compare it to Scripture, that's where truth is. So we want to be studying the Scriptures, it's more foundational stuff. Number five kind of gets into where we were last week. We talked about what is a child and what is an adult. And, and kind of an accumulation of all that discussion is, is number five. And I, I want to say beforehand, we have to set aside our way of using the word child and our way of using the word adult. Not all of us use it the same way, but all of us have a basic understanding of, you know, when you're this tall, you're an adult. When you're this old, you're an adult. When you make this accomplishment, you're an adult. And, and that's a cultural way of looking at it. But it's not a biblical way of looking at it. It doesn't mean that those factors are wrong. We do use age. We do use ability. We do use accomplishment to, do, to give someone the title of adult, especially if we're doing it intentionally. 
Those things all come into play. But biblically, remember, in, in their day, a child was anyone 19 years and younger. You could be 19 years, 364 days, and you're a child. That's the label you get. And at the 365th day, or the first day of your 20th year, you're an adult. What changed? Expectation. Responsibility. Ownership. Your, your parents were responsible, and they guarded, and they guided, and they protected, and they instructed, and you were bound to that. Age 20, now you were on your own. Make your own decisions, deal with your own consequences, and, and everyone knew that, and, and they accepted that, and, and it, it's, it's just the way it happened. And, and we have various ages that mean certain things. At 16, you get your driver's license. We talked about those types of things. 18, you can vote. But for our purposes, when I say child, this is the definition. A child is anyone who either needs and or has the protective covering of their parents because they are unable to live as an adult otherwise. So they might need it, which is every young child, every voice you heard talking when everyone else was quiet, that was a young child. Okay, hopefully. <laughs> that, that, was a, that was a young voice, and they obviously need their parents to protect them and guide them and keep them safe and teach them so they can learn and grow and become who they, they need to be. And, and you have the, the teenage years where transition is taking place. But, but in our discussion biblically, a child is anyone who either needs because they, they can't function on their own, and or has the protective covering. So as long as you are in the protective covering of your parents, where they are the provider and the protector and the guider and, and, and those kinds of things, then you're in the role of child. You're in that role. And you, you just need to say, okay, I'm in that role. I'm not going to run outside and tell everyone, hey, guess what, I'm a child, because out there, that doesn't make any sense. But in here, biblically, that's the label. So I'm, I'm under the, the control of my parents. Now, some people will never leave childhood by these definitions. There are some who are mentally or physically unable to fulfill the role of an adult, and they will always be a child. And, 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 and then the rules change. Now, all of a sudden, you're a 24-year-old. Everyone else's 24-year-olds are moving out. Yours is still there. And, and, and they are still a child. You still have to guide them and protect them and provide for them. They're never going to be able to do that on their own. So they have a child relationship to the parent, regardless of age, regardless of personality, regardless of what they can and can't do, whatever is holding them back. So sometimes they're a child because they need to be, they need to stay that way because of age or ability or physical or mental condition. Sometimes... Um, they're a child because they just are there. And we can move in and out of that a little bit. And we'll talk about that. We can move in and out of that. But I need to know that in that situation, I'm, I'm the child in the relationship. And, and age is way less important than we make it today. An adult is anyone who is not only old enough, because age is a factor. They're not only old enough. We're not going to send a 12-year-old out and call him an adult, right? So age matters. So an adult is anyone who's not only old enough and capable enough. They've learned the skills necessary 
to successfully live in their own, out on their own, but they've done so effectively. Okay, they, they do it. They are, they are not only capable, but they are. And so an adult has left the safety of their parental guidance, the safety of their parents' home, the, the safety of their parents' provision, and they're providing for themselves, caring for themselves, taking care of themselves. And in that, sometimes there's a lot of transition. Claire was nice enough to be here today, so I could use him as an example. Claire was off on his own going to school. He's in that, that transition. He's not fully independent from his parents. But his parents have given him freedom that he has earned and shown responsibility for. And every day, every week, every year, he's moving closer to the day where he will be 100% independent from mom and dad. Where the relationship will become advice. And, and advice that he asks for. Mom and dad won't call and say, hey, Claire, we've been paying attention, and here's three things you need to do by Thursday. That, that, that part of the relationship's over. He's in transition. And so those things take place. So an, an adult, biblically, is the one who not only can, but does, manage their own life on their own with the freedoms that come with it and the responsibilities that come with it. So the child and adult... And we're going to come to an, another category in a minute that, that's really different than both, and that's, that's the senior adults, or the, uh, we, we might call them senior citizens, or, or those who later in life need a little help that they didn't used to need. But I want to filter those definitions through Ephesians 6.1. I think this will help us. And we, we have to read it biblically in order for this to make sense. So Ephesians 6.1 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And so here's some considerations. We have the obvious, right? The obvious. My 10-year-old son or daughter needs to obey what I say. That's what God has called them to do. I will parent them in a way where they learn and grow in that process, but they, that's where they are. So we're not, we don't need to talk about them. But here's a consideration, A, in your notes. An adult who must move back home for a time should understand that with the living space also comes an authority structure. So when Teresa and I had been married for four years, five years, something like that, we moved back to Cottonwood where we grew up to be, I was a youth pastor at the church I grew up in. We had not sold our house in Roseburg yet, so we lived with my parents. Now when we lived with my parents, Teresa and I both understood this is their house, they have a certain way of doing things, they have customs and expectations, and we will fall underneath those customs and expectations. We will not walk in the door and say, guess what, we're adults and this is how it's going to be. We walk in the door and say, thank you for having us. We're going to do our best to live the way you expect us. Now, there's freedoms involved in there. We didn't become children. We didn't get a chore list and an allowance. That would have been nice. Um, those things didn't happen. But So there's a differing relationship. But I entered into at least a percentage uh, of being the child. Now, we were adults. We were functioning. This was an, an arrangement. We needed a place to stay until our house sold and we could buy something else. It was well established, well understood. It was, everybody was in agreement. It was a very adult operation. But there was a percentage of, I'm in their home as their son. I'm entering into that child zone. And I don't have all the freedoms I did when I had my own house. 
And, and I, just, I just needed to understand that, and I did understand that. And that's a consideration. Children obey their parents and Lord, for this is right. And as an adult child married for five years at that point, I needed to enter into that. I needed to say, this is my parents' home. I will live under their roof, and I will abide by their expectations. Now, as parents, there's, there's equally responsibility to not go overboard with those expectations. And I'll give mom and dad credit. They did not. It was a very good situation. I don't remember how many months it was, which is good, because if, if I was counting the days, I'd remember. So that's a situation where the child-adult uh, transition and, and operation kind of changes. And you notice it didn't, it didn't hinge on my age. It didn't hinge on my employment. It was, an, it was an arrangement, and that's it changed. So then B, here's another consideration. A parent who needs their child's assistance should understand that there's a reasonable amount of freedom and decision-making power that comes with the responsibility. At some point in time, when, when I have to move in with my kids, and I've warned them, I plan on coming. <laughs> when, when I have to move in with my kids, I, I will step in realizing that this is their home again. And, and I, will, I will abide by expectations that they have. I may have to bite my tongue, and I may have to humble myself, but that's where I need to go. So the, the situation does dictate a little bit of how we look at this. But I'm, I'm going to enter, and that's, that's really a third category. That's that senior category, the I need some help category. And, and whether the, the parent moves in with the child or the child moves in with the parent, there's a different level. I just want to see there's a different balance there. Where one now has to take care of the other, and that's going to change the way things are done. And then C, an older teenager acting in obedience to his or her parents' instruction, so it's, it's according to the instruction, should take on certain freedoms and responsibilities in preparation for the day they move out and must take on the role of adulthood. Now, in the Martin family, that transition started when you were 13. We sat them down and said, this is what we see as an adult and we, our goal is for when you're 18, 19, or 20 at the latest to have achieved this goal. Here's the steps we're going to take. And we sent them on that journey. And every year on their birthday, we had a check-in. We reviewed where we were at, what's good, what's not good, what are your goals, what's my goals, and moving them towards the date when they could go. And Daniel's in the same situation as Kaleo. Daniel reports in now. He lets us know what's going on in his life. He asks for advice when he needs it. But a lot of times, when I'm done giving advice, I say, no, Daniel, this is your decision. You, you're 20 years old. You're responsible. You're living your life. You need to make the decision. And then, and then however it works out, you live with the consequences. And, and, and then I leave it there. So this child-parent relationship changes over time. It changes over time. I, I'm always the son to my parents, and I'm always the dad to my children, but the parent-child relationship can be in flux. And we need to know where we're at. We need to know where we stand. And, and that understanding helps, helps understand this verse. And then, uh, it, you know, the next verse says, honor your mother and father. And that's the lifelong, never-changing command. Honor your mother and father. So it was important to establish a child and an adult. And now we're going to move on to adult categories. And we're going to ask the question, what is a man and what is a woman? And, and, and this is on the news way too much. 
this is, we're being forced to discuss this way too much. And, and this is one of those topics. I'm not going to get into the topics because they are too plentiful. We're going to get into the foundation so that you can follow the line of reasoning to the topic. So whatever the topic is, you can figure out what's going on here. But at the bottom of the page, I have a definition of a man and a definition of a woman. And, and, and this is a general definition. And then we're going to go to Scripture and we're going to see if the definition works. Okay, so a man is a male, and this is a biological male. I didn't think I had to write that, but I'll say it. A man is a male who is both capable of and fulfills the responsibility and roles of a male adult. So if you're going to be a man, you have to fulfill the responsibilities of an adult. That's why last week was so important. Uh, the male is biology, capable is capacity, and fulfilling is activity. It requires all three. You're, you're not a man because of one or the other, or age, or someone gives you the title or the business card or something. You, you become a man when you're capable and then fulfill responsibilities and roles of an adult. A woman is a female, biologically, just like before, a woman is a female who is both capable and fulfills the responsibilities and roles of a female. So we've got to talk about what a male and a female does of an adult. Where that last word, female, female adult, there it is. Couldn't read my own notes. A female adult. Now, factors in both categories include age, God-given roles, and capacity. Those are all factors that roll into this. But basically, you are an adult when you fulfill those roles. And males have one set of roles, and females have another set of roles. And sometimes they have the same role. So we're going to look at a bunch of scripture, and we're going to find out what it says about men and women. And we're going to start with Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. Genesis 1, 27 says, So God created mankind. Mankind would be male and female, okay, and their children. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Again, men, women, and children. Then there's a semicolon, male and female, he created them. So if you're a, a man, a woman, or a child, you come in two varieties, male and female. All right? It says God created mankind, all, all of them, in his own image. He actually only created male and female. There were no children yet. In the image of God, he created them. I want you to see something. Man all by himself is an image bearer of God, but he is an incomplete image bearer of God. There are certain qualities of God that, that show themselves best in the man. A woman, by herself, is an image bearer of God, but she is an incomplete image bearer of God. There are certain qualities of God that show themselves best in women because God made them to reveal those qualities. And in men, because God made them to reveal these qualities. But it says the image of God, and it says mankind. God created mankind in his own image. His best image, or the best reflection of who God is, is when the man and the woman become one. That's why we have marriage. That's why we have marriage. You ever wonder why there's no marriage in heaven? It's because we don't need image bearers of God to show who God is. God is there. 
We open our ears and open our eyes and we see God. So we don't need the marriage to be a reflection of who God is. But a man who fulfills the role of a man and a woman who fulfills the role of a woman will show everyone around them, including their children and their neighbors, who God is and what he looks like. So in your notes, both men and women are to be clear and accurate image bearers of God. If you're single, you're not off the hook. You are to be an image bearer of God as much as possible. But the second part, neither man nor woman is a complete image bearer of God alone. So as an individual, we are image bearers of God, but as two people join together in marriage, we are a complete picture of who God is. Now granted, some of that is lost because of sin. Our reflection has been stained. But it's our best reflection of God. The best thing we have. The next verse, Romans 1.28, excuse me, Genesis 1.28, says, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. And subdue would mean rule over, uh, steward, take care of. Then it says, Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and every living creature that moves on the ground. So in your notes, both men and women are to be fruitful. Okay, that means, that means have children, fill the earth. They're to manage the earth, the actual earth, and they're to manage creation, everything on the earth. We are to manage agriculture. We are to manage wildlife. We are to manage farming. We are to take care of the earth. Not to go overboard and worship the earth, but we're to take care of it. So we're supposed to fill the earth and take care of it, and the, the more man increased, the more authority he would have and the more control he would have and the better he would do at this, except sin got involved and we became not very good at it. Right? Genesis 2.24, maybe a page over if your Bible's like mine. It says, That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Leave your mother and mother, unite your wife, and become one flesh. In your notes, both men and women are to leave their childhood familial relationships. I need to leave mom and dad behind. I, I, need, to, I need to move out of the house. I need to be on my own. In order for God's plan to proceed, I need to leave that relationship behind and enter into adult familiar relationships, okay, with a man and a woman both being adults, creating their own family, they become one, the scripture says, as a new, as new units of God's image. I used to be part of my parents' image, or unit, I used to, and the other one, the, the husband used to be part of his family's image, the wife used to be part of her family image. Now they've left that. The image is still complete because there's a man and a wife. And now they become man and wife and they create a new unit of God's image. And the more units of God's image we have, the more people are going to see God. So it works in every way. But they are to leave. It's part of the plan. We're not supposed to stay in the best of circumstances. If we lived in a world without sin, that would be the case every time. Genesis 
It says, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So again, reflecting that man was not complete, he wasn't capable of doing his job alone, but he was made first. And so he gets that title and that responsibility, and this reflects what we're going to talk about, that the, the man is the head, he's the responsible one. That's why we talk about Adam's sin, not Eve's sin. It's not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper, suitable for him. And this helper is not a, a, a second-rate person or a diminutive-type term. Remember, the Holy Spirit is called the helper. One of the titles of the Holy Spirit is a helper, and I don't think any of us would say to the Holy Spirit, well, he could have been God, but you fell short. No, he's fully God. And, and, and we worship the Holy Spirit. We, we depend on the Holy Spirit. And, and so Eve was Adam's helper. He made Adam, she made Adam complete. She had a different role to play than Adam. And together, both playing the roles, they create that image of God that we're looking for. So in your notes, 2.18, neither men or women were meant to live alone. Each was created with both the capacity and need to find completion in each other. That's the way God intended. That's the way God created. That's what he meant. Genesis 3.16 says, To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and you will rule over him. Now there's at least two sermons in there that I will spare you today because I've given them before. I just want to point out that it is the woman who bears the child. So in your notes, women are given the privilege. Women are given the privilege of growing, growing inside of them, and giving birth to their children. It's a privilege. This is, this is something that, that man can only think he understands. And, and women will be quick to say, no, you don't. And it, it's a role that's, that's, that's given to women. It's an honor. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really great thing. There's a, a quote here. I've, I've changed it a little bit, so it's not a true quote, but this comes from our Wednesday night material. It says, during pregnancy, the female body is biologically, hormonally, and emotionally programmed by God... In other words, this is the way it's supposed to be, to bond with the child in exceptional and long-lasting ways. There is, there is nothing stronger than the mother's connection to her children. It, it never goes away. Moms get, get talked about with loving tones and, and, and words like that. You know, and, and dads sometimes get the, get the rougher tones. Moms have a connection, and that's how God made them. It, it puts them in a position to fulfill their role. It, it's, a, it's a great thing. Deuteronomy 22.5, moving into those clean pages in your Bible, where you don't go very often. Deuteronomy 22.5 says, a woman must, must not wear men's clothing, nor a man wear women's clothing, for the Lord your God detests anyone who does this. Now, this verse has been used way out of context on many occasions. 
to say that women can't wear pants. I mean, that's how it was used for decades. And that's not at all what it says. I know that because in Jesus' day, everyone wore a dress. I don't think they called it a dress. But they all had a dress. And they all kind of wore the same kind of clothes. The, 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 the biggest identifier of a man and woman was their head covering. How it was worn and when it was worn. And there were some other things. What this is saying, and interestingly enough, there's not a lot of context to work with because the verse before talks about if you see a donkey or ox falling on the road, this is what you should do. And the verse afterwards says if you find a bird's nest beside the road, this is what you should do. So this is like there's rule number 14, rule number 15, rule number 16 in a list. And number 15 happens to be a woman must not wear men's clothing nor a man wear woman's clothing for the Lord your God detests anyone who does this. So what does it mean? Let's look at our notes. Men and women are not, let's be clear, not to take on the appearance of the opposite sex so as to make someone else think you are indeed the opposite sex. I'm not to dress in a way that makes other people think I am female. And a female is not to dress in a way that makes someone else think they're male. That gets in the way of God's chosen role, chosen assignments, chosen gender. You're not following through on who he made you to be or how he made you to be. You're trying to alter it. And he says, no, I don't like that. It, it's actually detestable to me. I don't, I don't want that to be a part of how things operate in my family. So th does that mean a woman can't wear pants? Certainly not. I can tell the difference between men's pants and women's pants. Trust me. Uh, does it mean I can't have long hair? No, I had long hair for a while. I thought it was great, but it was the 90s. Okay? <laughs> Things have changed, right? It, it's it's, it's a less about the clothes. Can an can a Irish man wear a kilt? Well, I suppose he can. I don't know why he'd want to. But he can. And that's okay. I'm not going to go, oh, you're wearing a dress. You're breaking God's law. Can, can I dress up in biblical days and, and have a, a robe or two on? Sure I can. It's when I'm trying to fool somebody, when I'm trying to take on an identity that God did not give me and live a life that God did not intend me to live, that's when I'm breaking into the sin. That's when it becomes detestable. So we've got to watch out for that. Men are called to be men. Women are called to be women. And we're called to, to, to have the appearance of such as well. Let's go to Romans 21, excuse me, Romans 1, 26 and 27. Romans 1, 26 and 27. It says, because of this, and because of this, that's kind of like a therefore, we need to, like, like why, because of what? And, and most of the chapter before this is just listing a whole bunch of sin. And it says, you guys are sinning, you're sinning more, you're sinning worse, you're really good at sinning, you should stop sinning, I'm sick of your sinning. And he goes on and he says, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even the women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with each other and received in themselves the due penalty of their error. This is a case where, once again, people have stepped out of God's plan, out of 
how God created out of the way nature has intended. They've tried to rearrange what God has put together into a different way of doing things. And God says, no, I don't want that. In your notes, it says, neither men or women are to alter their natural and ordained sexual relationships. I chose this verse because it clearly says they exchange the natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. Now, you can just have whatever categories you want in your mind. There's too many categories to talk about. Many I don't even want to mention. But the, the natural category of sexual relations is one man and one woman in the, in the, in, under the vows and context of marriage. In that situation, it works. God's plan works. Problems are minimized. Families work better. The God's image is portrayed. And he says, I don't want you messing around with that. Don't be changing the family. Don't be changing the sexual relationship. Don't be changing any of that stuff. So we have some things for men, some things for women, some things for both. Let's talk about the Trinity. I mentioned this before. I want to mention it again. Men reflect God the Father more than any other person of the Trinity. God the Father is the manager. He's the, the buck stops with him. Think in those kinds of terms. Women reflect God the Holy Spirit more than any other person in the Trinity. And if you read the Bible, the, the Holy Spirit has lots of names. Uh, if, you, if you really want to search him out, you'll probably find 13 or 14 different names of the Holy Spirit. Don't women have the same thing? They have so many roles to play in the family and in society. The Holy Spirit has so many roles to play. And women line up with the Holy Spirit. And I, and I keep saying that because I want you to realize being a woman is... A God-ordained position. It is a valuable position. The Holy Spirit is no less, and a woman is no less. Different role, different assignment. And then both are called to reflect Jesus as he, are, as he is our example for living. Now, I said that a man is incomplete as an image of God, and a woman is incomplete. There was one man who was a complete image bearer of God. That was Jesus. So he is our example. So if you want to, if you want to know, hey, am, am I am I fulfilling the role of a man? Ask yourself, am I am I imitating the Father? Am I fulfilling the role of a woman? Am I imitating the Holy Spirit? Am I being the adult I need to be? Am I imitating Jesus Christ? Let's look at leadership real quick. Men lead from the front, as does the Father in the Trinity. Men lead from the front. Uh, we won't look these up. You can look them up later for the sake of time. We'll just run through them quickly. Ephesians 5, 25 through 29, it says, Love your wives as Christ loved the church. And then it talks about washing them with the word. And eventually it says, Take care of your wife as you would your own body. Feed and care for. Feed and care for. It says no one forgets to feed their own body or care for their own body. And so here's... Here's how men lead from the front. Men love your wives as Christ loved the church. How did he love the church? Sacrificially would be the first thing that comes to mind. Jesus made the sacrifice. The men should be the ones making the sacrifice. If someone is going to wear clothes that are too old, it should be the dad. Because the man makes the sacrifice. All right? We sacrifice in many other ways. That was just a really easy example. 
The man is to wash the woman with the word. That means lead spiritually. That means I'm going to lead you down the road. I'm going to bring the family to church. I'm going to gather together for family devotions. I'm going to insist that we pray at the meal. I'm going to talk about God and, and Jesus and forgiveness. As the man, I'm going to lead spiritually. And I'm going to feed and care for, which really means provide and protect. As the man, I'm going to make sure that my family is provided for, and I'm going to protect them from danger. Physical danger, spiritual danger, and emotional danger. I'm not going to sit on the sideline and hope it works out. I'm going to get involved. I'm going to do everything I can to protect my family. That's how men lead from the front. Ephesians 5.23 says the husband is the head of the wife. That's his position, which is why he leads from the front. Ephesians 6.4 says, Fathers, raise your kids in the training and instruction of the Lord. So fathers, it's not like mom is responsible to raise the kids. No, dad is responsible to raise the kids also. And it says, Fathers, do it according to the scriptures. Women lead from the back. A different leadership position, still leadership, still very important leadership, as the Holy Spirit does in the Trinity. We could not function without the Holy Spirit, by the way. I think through that, you'll agree with me. And as a society, we probably couldn't function without the women. I shouldn't have said probably. <laughs> Ephesians 5.22 says, Wife, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Submit means to follow, to allow them to lead, to, to get on the same path as they are, but it also says your own husband. Submit to your own husband, which means you and your husband, you work it out together. You move forward together. You two are involved in the decisions. You two are, are moving in one direction. And when someone has to lead, the husband leads and the wife is there in submission. Submission is not a bad word. Second Timothy 1.5, mothers pass their faith to their children. This is where Paul says to Timothy, hey, I know your grandmother and I know your mother and I know they pass their faith on to you. This is not a command passage. This is an example passage. These two women passed their, passed their faith on to Timothy and Timothy became the pastor of the church in Ephesus. And I'm just going to say that a lot of faith is passed from the mom to the child. Moms really have to live with more faith than the men do on many occasions. Because they're in that secondary role. They're not going to just jump out and make the decisions. And so there's a lot of faith involved with being a wife and with being a mom. And there's that connection to those kids pulls on those strings of faith. And... And moms ha have that unique position to pass that on. And that should never be discounted. Proverbs 14.1, I do want to read this one. Proverbs 14.1 says, The wise woman builds her house, but with her own hands the foolish one tears her down. So does the wise woman builds her house. Does that mean a wise woman can read blueprints and can swing a hammer and, and, and run the nail gun and the saw? No, that's not what it means. Other translations say it, it, it in different ways. That's right. I, I use those in your notes. Uh, women build their house or their home or their household. Women build, build the home. Women make home home. They build the household. They, they help create the identity of the family. They, they are the, probably the first advice giver. They're the first person to hear the complaint. The first person 
to, to, to know that someone needs a hug or, or, or to learn something. So the women build the house. And I know you can see the clock, and I know your notes say we're done, but we're not done. <laughs> I want to say this. I'll, I'll kind of skip to the end here. To be a man or a woman, you must be of age, possess the capacity, practice the biblical roles of God as he gave them, and accept the responsibility that is associated with them. In doing so, you have the answer key to all of the questions of life that this brings up. In other words, you can start with that information that we've just covered, and you can answer the question of homosexuality, transgenderism, fornication, adultery, the roles of the husband and wife, what is a man, what is a woman, and child-rearing goals. We've just touched on every one of those topics. And, and, and you can reason through how this information we just talked about filters into those categories. But I want to say this. Do not filter the scriptures through your life. Don't take your life and, and, and then try to apply the scriptures to it. Take the scriptures and filter your life. Because if we take our life and try to adjust the scriptures to match our life, we're doing it backwards and we're going to get it wrong. We have to take our life and adjust it to the scriptures. The scriptures don't change. God's goals, God's plans, his roles and positions that he's given people, they don't change. So we don't take our emotions, we don't take the culture around us, and try to fit them into what God said. We take what God said and we embrace it. And we live that way. What's, what do I need to do? Well, we need to realize, first of all, that none of us is a complete man or complete woman that God's called us to be. We, we, we haven't arrived. We haven't got there. We have room to grow, room to change. So I need to, and you need to, ask God to help me move in that direction. And I, knew that I need to do the best I can in the circumstances that I live in. We're in a broken world where sin has affected us, and we don't get to be exactly what God wanted us to be. But that is our goal, and it's our standard. So I will spend my time and my energy moving towards that goal, that standard, to get as close as I can in the circumstances I live in. And when I'm doing that, let me tell you, God will be pleased, and he will bless, and he will help, and you will get a lot closer probably than you think you can. And with that, we're going to close in prayer. Father, thank you for our time. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for your scriptures that give us so much information to look at. And the ones we had to kind of run through and not read, I pray that you just let people have the time to look those up and make sure it says what it's supposed to say. And I pray that you would, would let us incorporate these thoughts and ideas into our life. So when we hear the news or we hear a friend or we hear a neighbor say something, we automatically filter that through your word and we have a, an, a correct answer which then allows us to have an informed and intelligent discussion. And in those discussions, may we remember the command to be full of grace and love as we do it with respect. So I pray that you would help us live the life you want us to live. Help us to be the people you want us to be. Help us to serve in the ways you want us to serve. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.